Welcome to Soul Awareness with Constance Mesmer. In today's episode, I'm going to talk to you about um, some examples of where one pivotal experience in people's lives have thwarted their sense of self-love. I hope you get a lot from today's session. Thank you so much for tuning in. Recently, I talked to you about the energy of the thymus and self-love. I talked to you about what happens when there's early childhood experiences of a disconnect with the primary caregiver to the infant and child and how that can thwart self-love and leave a child yearning for recognition and self-appreciation, basically, maybe throughout their life. But today I want to talk to you about people like me, actually. (laughs) I had fine parents. I think I got a lot of self-love from them. I have an incredible sense of, um, I don't know, love, love deep inside. And uh, I think I did get that from my parents. I think I was very connected to that. But I did go through a pivotal moment, which kind of threw me for a loop. And it stayed with me for years. And I've also worked on clients where it was just one pivotal moment that threw them so far out of the loop that it took a while to get back to a sense of self, a sense of self-respect, a sense of self-love, a sense of self-acceptance. So it's these examples that I want to share with you today in the hopes that maybe if someone out there feels like me, they had great parents and things were fine, but they're still feeling like this disconnect and unsatisfaction with life or dissatisfaction with life, that maybe there's a pivotal moment in your history that might come to your awareness that you need to look at and uh, kind of resolve. I do want to forewarn you that the third story that I'm going to share with you might be uncomfortable for some of my listeners. It was definitely an uncomfortable moment in my own practice as a healer, hands-on healer, But I always trust that whoever shows up at my door is someone that I can help because I know I don't work alone. So the story has a a hopeful outcome, but I just want to forewarn you that, you know, sometimes in dealing with darkness, it's, it's not always pretty. If I've shared my story with you before, bear with me. It's this specific angle that I want to relate to you, which is why I'm sharing it again. It has to do with the fact that I had a middle school teacher that taught poetry and I'm laughing because I'm thinking, oh, some of you were like, yeah, you already told us this one. Um, Anyway, I was just really so thrilled that I had decided this is what I want to do with my life. I want to be a poet. And I remember going up to her and declaring that out. I want to be a poet when I grow up. And you know, a little backstory on this particular particular teacher. She uh, was a Ms. Ms. and um, not a Mrs. And she, uh, you know, was really interested in young women making their own way. Let's put it that way. I mean, I see that in hindsight now, but in the moment, here I am expressing this desire and this you know, future potential of myself, sharing it with a teacher that teaches me poetry. And I'm in a school where we're taught to respect our elders. And so I, you know, kind of to a fault. So I'm listening to her response. And her response was, you might want to do something else for work because poets don't make much money. What I heard was, is you won't be successful enough to support yourself and you're not good enough. That's what I heard. So I don't know. I think I was like somewhere like sixth, seventh or eighth grade, probably seventh grade, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, what am I? 12. My ego was so bruised because I, it just deflated me. Right. And in the long run, it kept me from believing in myself as a writer and definitely as a poet. And I think I shared with you before that it, it took me, you know, all through my high school, I never took poetry, and even in college. And it wasn't until my final semester in college that I was like, frigate, I'm going to take poetry. And I took poetry and I had a blast. 
I had a blast. My instructor gave me an A+. Dude, it was Juan Felipe Herrera, Poet Laureate of the U.S. He went on to become Poet Laureate of the U.S. And so it was really interesting when I was sitting there and one year, ages later, my dad was like, Han, you're an amazing writer. Why don't you try this writing contest? And I decided, all right, I'll try a short story because I love short stories. Get in and out, tell the story, have a hook, have it really cool. I think I'm pretty good at them anyway. But when I sat down to take on the challenge, what came out was a poem. And I couldn't help myself. It came out, you know, free verse poem. So I went ahead and switched the entrance fee to poetry. And I'll be darned, I got first place. So it was this awareness of like, oh my gosh, this is really something that you're good at. And all those years I had been like, oh, I'm not good at this. This is, I'm not capable. You know, it really did a number on my sense of self and self-love in who I was. And it was really interesting because as I really brought it to my journal time with God and my inner searchings, I was drawn to go up to the attic and I was like, why am I supposed to go up there? Just go, just go. Felt like my guardian angel saying, go, I've got a surprise for you. And I go up and, and I see these boxes from my youth and the, and spirits really leading me to this one particular box. And I feel the energy behind the excitement of spirit. And I open up the box and they're buried in there are three journals of poetry that I created, not just from you know, grade school, but my also my college uh, final poetry book. And it was a really honoring of my soul that this is who I've been. It's been a part of me my whole life. And so I grieved in that moment. I grieved. I was pissed at the teacher for ever saying that because, you know, she didn't know what she was saying or how I would take it. She was just doing the best she could in the moment she could do it. But it really, you know, I, I wish I would have taken poetry every year in college and kind of explored that a little more. So it was really devastating on my soul. And I share this with you because, um, you know, it was one experience that just tossed my sense of self-love and part of who I am and what I love to do out the window. And so it wasn't until years later that I was like, I heard she was, this specific teacher was, um, retiring. And so I decided to send her a letter. I sent her a letter with a few of my favorite poems that I'd written and a copy of the A plus from my professor who said, Juan Felipe Herrera, who said, you're, you're a fine poet. Um, and also my uh, first place prize photo image of the um, award for the poetry contest. And I said, I understand that you were trying to protect me because you're a women's liber and a a feminist. And those are all great qualities. I'm totally with her there. But I wished that you would have said, you know, different words. But regardless, I finally found my voice again. And so it was helpful for me to close that chapter. I never heard back from her. I also reached out to Juan Felipe Pereira. And I was like, thank you so much for believing in me and my poetry. And uh, it was good to reconnect with him because he's such a cool teacher. We were at the University of Iowa when he taught. And he's an amazing poet, amazing poet. So I just had to do these bits of recovering my soul, right? I had to write the, write the teacher, the poetry teacher. I had to write the um, poetry instructor, Juan Felipe Pereira, to just honor what was a part of me that I had lost and again, you know, who knows why, who knows why that had to happen and who knows why my reaction to her words were these self-defeating feelings. I have no idea, right? Maybe because I grew up in, in a situation where my religion really taught about being submissive and modest and humble and, um, and, uh, those aren't the best things for me. Not at all. I like toot your horn, people. Toot your horn. Know your strengths and uh, know your power and honor your gifts and talents. I'm going to do a whole podcast on gifts and talents, 
but poetry is one of mine. Writing is one of mine. I'm an amazing writer. It's in my freaking astrological chart. I think I told you that finger of God is on it. And so when we diminish that part of ourselves that are gifts and talents, we're stuffing our self-love in a box. And I really hope you look at um, what brings you joy and what kind of, um, you know, nourishes your own self-love. Poetry is one of mine. So do you want to know a kicker about that story? Money has never been an issue in my life. So there she was imposing her shadow energy and her concerns and fears about reality and her life, really, onto me, a little sixth, seventh or eighth grader, whatever I was. And it never, it, it never settled into my reality because I have always been well cared for financially. I, to me, money's energy. It comes and it goes when I need it. And I have never been in lack, in a place of lack. And so I could have gone on to do poetry just for the sheer joy of it without concern of having to make money off it. So that's always a bummer too, right? When somebody else imposes and puts their concerns so heavily on us, especially when we're young, that we... um kind of wondering, oh my God, are they right? As opposed to, you know, what, what is our truth? I had a client that came to me and was really suffering from just feeling super responsible for everybody's happiness and really not able to get in touch with her own. And when I went to her thymus and tried to balance it there, there was a big heavy weight, if you will. And when we looked deeper at it, it unearthed a pivotal moment in her life. She felt completely loved by her parents, her primary caregivers. She felt um, she was in touch with her emotions, but there was an experience in her childhood that rocked her world. And she felt guilty and responsible. And what it was, was her father walked out on the family and her parents got a divorce and they never spoke with the kids about what it was all about. And so as some kids do, she felt responsible that maybe she wasn't good enough or didn't pick up her toys enough and all of these kind of things that kids try to wrestle with in their conscious mind to make sense of uh, their world. She carried that kind of shame and guilt for a very long time and lost confidence in herself. And it wasn't until she was on my table, which was in her late twenties, that she was able to recognize that kind of the tentacles and the depths of the depression that she had been carried and the weight of that and how it affected her own sense of self-love, self-care and ability to love others, right? Because she was always trying to, um, you know, it was interesting because she would end up choosing mates or boyfriends uh, that would, um, that, that were a little, uh, I don't know, I don't know, I guess the word I would say that were, that she always wanted to try to fix, always wanted to try to help them, always wanted to try to heal them. Um, and, and, and it was more really the mirror of you know, always trying to, she was trying to please them and do for them. And it was because it was, again, she didn't want them to leave her like her father had left the family. And so I just thought, um, that was interesting. When she left my table, I told her, let's, you know, it just felt so strong that I said, it's, you know, how about you explore these different things and then come back in a week. And we'll see how the energy is holding. Because when I do energy work and that stuff comes up, we look at it, it's removed and fullness of light and balance can come back into our whole auric field and all our chakras. And I just wanted to make sure that she was maintaining that balance. When she came back the following week, her energy field there at the thymus was strong, but it wasn't as strong as I thought it would be. It wasn't as strong as when she left. And she was very, you know, emotional crying and, um, you know, just telling me how she left and felt really good and felt really strong, 
but then the whole week she kind of lost touch with um, herself and her needs and, you know, just was going back into her old habits again and her old habits again. So then we kind of worked with spirit to set up a plan of action for her, which I'm going to share with you later on in this uh, episode. But sometimes again, like I said, the energy becomes clear and healed, but we can, you know, life happens, right? And so things can throw us off our game again. It can throw us out of our, our happy place. And so sometimes these maintaining that balance takes effort. Okay, this next example that I'm going to give you is the one that comes with a warning. So skip over the next segment if you don't want to hear it. A man came to me and wanted a Reiki energy balancing with a psychic reading. And I popped him up on my table and I began my work. And immediately I was drawn to his thymus. So I actually started there. Um, it, there were feelings of self-loathing that I was picking up and I was like, whoa, what is going on here? And when I scanned his body with just my eyes looking to where does the energy meet to, where does this, is there an arc of this energy? Is it, is it, is his self-loathing coming from something locked in another chakra? I was pulled to his, um, sacral chakra and so I put my hands both on his sacral chakra, which is lower tummy, and his thymus, which is self-love. Sacral chakra is sexual issues, creativity, and new beginnings. And when I put my hands there, I immediately heard the words pedophile in my mind. And I was like, oh, God. Now, I'm working alone in my office all by myself. And here's this big man, bit larger than me. And I thought, oh boy, you know, my safety radar went up like, oh God. And I really do believe that, you know, when I set my intention to do my business, I said, okay, God, only send me people that I can work with and heal. And you just, you know, have my back. And I trust that. So because I knew I needed to address this, and that's what was locking up his ability to self-love instead of self-loathe. I asked, I actually asked Jesus to come in. I was like, what am I supposed to say? How am I supposed to say this to this guy? And so what came out, um, what was revealed before me in my mind's eye was a story where this kid or this man as a young kid was playing doctor with his cousin and they were uh, discovered by an, a female older woman. She had uh, walked in on them. And in that moment of panic and the words that were exchanged, which I couldn't hear, and the disgust that was in the woman's um, whole presence and energy and words, that intense level of shame locked in with the feelings of sexual arousal and that stuck in his energy field. So what I was directed to say to the man on my table was, you know, the feelings or the, the kind of the impulses of pedophilia that you have, this is not who you are. This was embedded in your psyche through a traumatic experience when you were little. And I told him the experience and I did not look this guy in the eyes because I thought, Oh, I can't handle that. I don't, I want him to maintain a sense of, um, you know, a sense of self and a sense of, uh, yeah, what's whatever that word is, uh, decency. And, uh, I didn't want to shame him any further. And so I, um, I said, listen, this is, this is going to, this is the perfect timing. It's coming up now in this healing session so that you can go to therapy and get this sorted because this is about you stepping away from those, um, sexual obsessions to come into balance with your own sensuality and sexuality. And he was so grateful as we were processing it while he was on the table because he had never been able to, 
maintain a healthy and comfortable sexual relationship with a partner because he had these feelings that were just raging through him that he knew that he knew he did not want to have. Um, he knew in his experience that it was inappropriate and wrong and, um, he did want healing. And I said, that's why it's coming up now is I'm, you know, the energy of it is ready to be released, but it's going to have to take some processing on your part, some grieving of those moments, some anger, um, all of these different things. You know, there's a lot of um, kind of uh, darkness tentacles that are happening in this for you. And, um, but it's perfect timing for you to work on it and get it healed. Otherwise I wouldn't have seen it. Oh my gosh, people. That was like the hardest. That was like the most difficult, one of the most difficult sessions I've ever had to work with because, um, you know, it was uncomfortable. I was molested as a child by a pedophile. So I was like, whoa, wow, wow, wow. This is huge. But, um, what happened in that moment, and I'll never forget it, was I showed no judgment on him, you know, and and it really was linked to this weird moment of all sorts of, you know, psychological, mental, emotional, spiritual, physical sensations that were happening when that woman opened the door and said whatever she said and whatever was going on. I don't know what their, you know, religious upbringing was, what their otherwise home life experience was. It didn't get into any of that. It was really just, this was the moment, unlock that moment and you will come to self-love instead of self-loathing. I give you these three examples because in my practice, I've come across several experiences where people have had a childhood experience that they could not sort through. And instead it kind of um, locked into their psyche and their energy field, if you will, and triggered a sense of um, disappointment in self or a block actually to their ability to have and maintain self-love. Oftentimes that these people would have trouble finding happiness in their life or feeling satisfied in their pursuits or in their relationships. And I think that this can happen when we're young, when we don't have the full, all the faculties to kind of comprehend or process an experience. And we certainly can have that happen if we don't have uh, a parent around that's kind of noticing that there's something going on with us you know, or, uh, or we just brush it off ourselves. Um, God, being a kid is tricky, isn't it? Right. Oh my God. How did we all survive? Um, but the cool thing is, is I think that now is perfect opportunity to look back. You know, they, they say that your brain is not fully developed till you're 25. I believe that. <laughs> having experienced all those ages myself and also with other people, either in my practice or in my, uh, with my own kids. Um, you know, you just, there's, there's something about, um, this being able to process these things later on in life, or even approach these things with the care of a trusted, um, professional if need be, or with your own journal or with your own, open heart and promise to be honest with yourself and your feelings and allowing yourself the compassion and commitment to go through all the entourage of feelings that occur. You know, one kind of, sometimes to me, it's like a parade of feelings going through one after the other, after the other, till I get to the very end. And then I'm just like, wow, okay, that was a huge processing experience, but at least I can look at it now and see things clearer differently. And I'm better because of it. And so I just encourage that of you too, is that sometimes there might be experiences in your childhood that got stuck because you were unable to um, work through it in the moment. But maybe now is that moment. Listen, ideally any upset or squabble 
or, you know, um, anything that hits your heart in a difficult way throughout your childhood, uh, it would be ideal if it could be resolved in that moment, in that time with conscious awareness from yourself or some caring individual that can step in and talk you through it. But that's not reality. What, what usually happens is as kids, we process it with our own mind in our own way. And, um, there begins the whole process of self-talk. Now it could be, um, trying to shove it under the carpet or avoid it or numb out or, you know, running from our thoughts or our feelings, our true feelings or our, the discomfort. And it can also be just, a um, you know, you know, negative self-talk, which we'll get into a little more in another episode, but I do want to touch on that today. So ideally it could be resolved in the moment, but it's not always the case. This is what we know, right? There are often misunderstandings in life, even with and to ourself, sadly. Wow. And golly, in an ideal world, people wouldn't be mean or harsh to each other and they'd know exactly what to say in, in kind, compassionate ways. And we would all learn that from the beginning, but that's not the case either. That's not the case either. But maybe one day we can hope, right? Or we can work towards that in our own world. I'm hopeful. So in my work, sometimes when the thymus and the area of self-love is really off, that's when I might see addictions or obsessions or perfectionism or kind of these areas where things are really heightened um, as we're trying to kind of work to either numb out or fix, 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 fix. And really, I'd want to just dive in and go, what are you avoiding or what are you trying to fix? What's so broken? I think all of those things like addictions and obsessions are just ways where we try to avoid confrontation with our own pain. So self-respect and self-love go hand in hand. You probably know this and realize this. And what is the message that I continually get from spirit as a way to help people along on their journey? It is to respect your feelings as the path of your soul, the steps forward in and throughout your life. Good, bad, or indifferent, respect each and every one of your feelings to help discern what it is your truth is in the moment. So to free ourselves of the destructive patterns within us that might be there from experiences that were uncomfortable in the past that we beat ourselves up over or we didn't, you know, heal from or whatever, you know, things that have us feeling lost or thoughts that have us disconnected from ourselves. The way we free ourselves from these destructive patterns that we repeat, repeat, repeat is to come to intellectual awareness and emotional processing of any of the deeper pains that we have buried from previous times in our life. If you can start there, kind of unearth the pile of... <laughs> I hate to use these words, but I'm going to use it. Unearth the pile of shit that you've built your house on, kind of. If you could start with kind of making a clean out, then you can better move forward. Because when you realize what you've got kind of buried, then you can look intellectually and discern how it's affected different areas in your life right? And you can see where you've held yourself back or let yourself down or put yourself down or not put yourself first or lost your sense of self-respect or how you continually don't support a sense of self-love, but you do for others instead of doing for yourself, all of these things. So when you first kind of unearth any of the, the kind of troubles and tribulations of the past that are kind of locked in you can then begin to heal and move on from them by noticing, oh, these are my 
previous habits or these are my previous patterns based on that pain. Let's take the woman, for example, whose father left the family and how she, what then she realized was that she was any kind of relationship. She was moving to kind of still heal the relationship with the father that had left. And so when she realized like, wow, I took all that pain on myself, spirit helped her see that these are kind of with new eyes that she needs to approach her future. Listen, I totally always tell people, listen, go to therapy if you want to sort this out. I'm not really, I I told you before, I'm not a therapist. I get a lot of great info from spirit, but it's up to you to go do your work. And I don't want to be the therapist person. You know, spirits like helps me as much as I can help you help yourself. And then you've got to take the ball and run. But the information for her was to really kind of work through that experience and look at past partnerships to realize how she kind of played out that role with them and then what she wanted differently in a relationship with a mate or a partner going forward. It was really interesting because I took a big gap in my work. And when I reopened, she got back in touch with me and just thanked me again. This is always so fun, fun, you know, wonderful for me to hear like, oh my gosh, I still have the recording of the session that you did with me. And remember this came up and um, my life has changed and I'm married now with children and things are so good and rah, rah, rah. And I'm like, yeah, you did it. You did the work. So some of the tools that you realize that you need is the awareness, the first, the intellectual awareness of like, oh, I'm consciously getting what I did there from that original wound, whatever that is, or maybe you have several. Um, And then emotional processing to that intellectual awareness or that conscious awareness, if you will. How do I feel? What did I feel in the moment? You know, she felt betrayed by her dad. She felt also betrayed by her parents, this particular woman, because they didn't approach the kids to say, this is what's going on. They just, um, it was a, it was too, the parents didn't want to hurt the kids further, but the, but the explanation was too brief and it then left too many, um, variables that the kids then kind of made up in their own mind. Oh, it must be from this or it must be from that. Plus there was a little bit of ping-ponging back and forth to the parents when they would stay with the dad and then when they would stay with the mom of anger back and forth. And so then they didn't know who to align with. It became really messy. So part of her emotional processing was to really get out all these feelings for both parents and how they let her down. And then also how she um also takes that and then lets herself down or kowtows to her partners in relationship so that they don't leave. You know, she kind of loses herself in it all and um, becomes the chameleon. Whatever they need, she'll become. And once she processed that and realized that, she was able to really move away from that. Okay, so this is just one example. But what what happens is all of a sudden you might start to realize you need new tools in the moments when you're being triggered um, by feelings that linked to the past experience. So this is where a lot of people are, um, they recognize this whole mindfulness approach or conscious awareness of like the witness self going, oh, I'm like talking this inside your own head. Oh, check me out. I'm meeting a new person and I'm doing that thing I do. Okay. I'm going to reel it back and not do that. I'm going to, how do I want to approach this differently or whatever? With time, you, you all of a sudden course correct, right? You don't get caught up in those old patterns of behavior. And what happens is you don't react, but you respond to each situation that might trigger that ancient behavior. You, you respond accordingly. You all of a sudden make conscious choices in the moment because you can see yourself clearer, right? You can, you're not that scared little kid anymore that needs someone else to define you or that you need someone else to save you or that you need someone else to constantly be there for you. You're choosing maybe a partner to be there for you or you're choosing how you want to be in a relationship. You're not falling, slipping into default mode. Because once you begin to see more clearly the dynamic of your interactions, you're able to step back into your own witness self and see any triggers or manipulations, whether it's from the other person or you, any dynamics that are playing out before you, you'll be able to to see that. And you, you might choose not to play along. 
this will free yourself from the cycle of your past and it will allow you to move more freely into your future. I, for one, have this with a friend of mine. Fascinating, right? The greater awareness I brought to myself in coming into my boundaries and my creating limits with my time and energy, talents and treasure, um, I realized I have kind of maintained some friendships where I'm like, whoa, I need to switch the dynamic of this because I've played myself smaller then. And I don't know if it's a past life thing or if it was just a lack of confidence in myself of like, oh, you're the wise soul. Let me go to you for some advice. And, you know, they were always great for listening or whatever, given their wisdom and, and, and everything. But after a while, I realized how much I gave up my voice and vote and how I put them on too much of a pedestal. It kind of reminded me when I was little and I was like, you know, I had my parents on a pedestal. And then one day I was like, oh, I'm taking you off the pedestal, mom. I love you. But now I see that you're human too. And it was like the best thing for the relationship because we got close and everything, you know, closer still. I'm close to my mom. But I'm realizing in the dynamic of my friendships now too, like I'm, when I process kind of my own stuff, I'm able to look at my circle differently and choose differently. I always think it's perfect time, you know, kind of spring cleaning or fall clean out or what. I think every season is perfect time to kind of reevaluate. What do I need? What do I don't need? What's serving me? What's not serving me? And sometimes you have some friends that are, um, or, or family members or people that you that are in your life that, um, that it's really kind of holding you in this old holding pattern that you're trying to grow and you're realizing, whoa, this is not allowing me to be my true and full self that I can love, value, and appreciate. And you realize that in that, maybe as you pay attention, you know, kind of to your witness self in those interactions, that there are some kind of weird manipulations taking place. I don't mean um, like, oh, people are manipulating you, manipulating you. But I think that sometimes we might have experiences where we align with certain people or friendships because they help us stay in a certain pattern. And it's a, it's a safe place that we don't break out of. I know someone that um, came to me recently that is like, I got to revamp all my friends because they're all like no motivation. You know, they're not doing anything creative in their work life. They're just getting these jobs that they're really not happy with. And it's just like this. I feel like I'm on a, you know, a wheel, a hamster wheel round and around and around. And I just don't feel happy or motivated. And I realized this person was saying, I realized that, um, that it's time for me to change up and get some more, you know, friends that are like motivational and ready to get out there and take on some changes or challenges or adventures and just do different things. And it was interesting because this was coming up because this person, when I worked on them, I went on their liver and, um, you know, liver is where we store toxins. It's also where we store anger. I was like, Ooh, dude, you know, you've got borderline alcoholism going on in here. And it was really interesting. His eyes popped wide open. And, um, he said, I can relate to that. I said, listen, it's because you're hiding out. And he was like, yes, I do hide out in my friendships, you know? And so, uh, you know, it just, I'm going to say these words, it's going to sound so judgmental, but it, what came up in the session, it was like, oh, loser friendships going nowhere, but just going out, drinking, 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 and not, you know, not having anything outside of that. And so, it was a really a wake up call because the liver was suffering on an energetic level. Listen, I don't know what's going to happen on down the line. It was just a one time read and it's all he came for. But it was the awareness of like um, he needed to change his circles of friends because it was affecting his energy. And it was linking to his self-esteem, self-love, both self-esteem um, in solar plexus, personal power, who you are, what you came to do, but also self-love thymus because he was feeling like a real shit. You know, he just didn't feel like proud of himself or good, or he wasn't even, you know, so by the, before he got off the table, by the time he got off the table, he was like, I think I might actually look for online classes and pursue some of my dreams. Like it was all this like massive awakening of like, what are the dreams that I let die? What did I give up on and hit out with this circle of friends that were 
you know, it was a safe place to hide out. So I think sometimes in life too, when we look at our past behaviors or experiences that affect our sense of self-love, we also might need to look at not only what patterns in my speaking or engaging in my life and my world need to change, but you might also look at, you know, how, 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 what, what other areas in your life needs to change to support this new you? Is it new friends? Is it new way of speaking? Is it new routines, new habits, um, things that make you feel good about yourself and build up your sense of self-love? What is it? And the more you're willing to see clearly this kind of part of your life, the faster you'll start to see it and the opportunity for change will come racing towards you. So pay attention and be on alert so that you don't miss these opportunities where you might, you know, you might need to rebalance or re rework or redefine relationships as you see fit. So as you honor yourself in this way, you'll come to a point where you kind of maintain a, a greater sense of self so that when you interact, you won't lose yourself anymore. This is really important, especially for people that are empaths or caretakers, you know, or people pleasers. Definitely consciously choose to help. I'm a helper, healer. So that's part of my nature. But it if it goes overboard and I'm a people pleaser, then I've lost myself. So you know the difference. But what it is, is it's the difference between a kind of a, I'm going to say it this way, a grown adult um, who's deciding to have this uh relational experience, whether in their work world or in their personal world, compared to the little child in you that might still be looking for approval and love outside of yourself. You know, you know, love is not a barter system. You're not doing it so that they love you more. You're doing it because you want to do it and because you have time to do it or you have the energy to do it. You're not serving until you're served up. So I do want to remind you of a time. Listen, I have to tell you, when I was little, I idolized my parents. I really did. There, but I do remember the day my father told me something and I believed him because I was raised to, you know, honor your elders and your parents and respect them. And in that, I thought the dynamic was, is they would never leave you astray. You know, they loved me and everything was going to be fine. They'd always be there for me, take care of me and everything. But I remember my dad told me something that was a little outlandish. I was surely in grade school. And I believed him. And I think we were with friends, like other adults in the neighborhood. And my dad laughed. And then he said to me, don't be so gullible. And I was like, what? It was a hard lesson. I was totally shattered because he explained how he was just joking and pulling my leg. But I, I was just so, so shattered because it hurt me to think that he would lie because I didn't know about pulling people's legs. I was more serious than that, believe it or not. I've since changed, but I, I still can be pretty serious. Um, but it was interesting because I realized that I do need to take everything people say with a grain of salt. But you would have thought I would have carried that forward um, in all of my friendships. But sometimes I still get a little caught up in other people's perspective as the truth. When I have to remember, it's actually their perspective. Um, a few friends come to mind, but one in particular. And it's a huge lesson for me to stand my ground. I really care about this person, so I don't want to let the friendship grow. But there's grow. That was a Freudian slip. I care about this person. Wow. Wow. But I don't want to let the friendship grow. Okay. I guess I do want to let the friendship grow. More and more, I'm going to call this person on their shit because oftentimes they're a little bit righteous and in my face. And what they tend to do is talk over me when I call them on things where I'm like, no, that's your perspective. 
They don't really listen, even though they say they totally are a listener. So it's fascinating. Isn't that funny? That really came up. Yeah, I think the friendship is changing. The dynamic is really changing because my eyes are opening and I don't want, you know, be your own guru, people. Be your own guru. And I just, um, like, much like my parents, I've held this friend on a pedestal for a little too long. Um, I think I'm into like knocking everybody off their pedestals. How's that? I think that's probably good. And I have to sit there and go, well, why did I always give my power away? Why did I always think, you know, I needed to trust people enough that they'd have my back? And I do still trust people to have my back and everything and give sound advice and everything. But I just don't know how much I really want other people's advice. And here's me going, take my advice listen to soul awareness with Constance Mesmer, but I'm saying take spirits advice. And I often, you know, listen, I still read, right? So I still get the perspective of what do other people have to say and let me see how it resonates with me. So I want you to do the same. If this has struck a chord with you and you see yourself in that way where you maybe kind of put your faith and trust in others more than you do yourself. It's time to kind of weigh in on yourself and realize like, wait a minute, what do I want to do in this situation? What do I really feel in this situation? Because I think sometimes we avoid going inside ourselves and we look for outside um, affirmation or, you know, we might talk things out maybe because we need to hear ourselves talk things out, but we look for other people's advice because we don't want to actually face our true feelings. So I think that's where this part of the segment is going, because I am like, spirit, where are we going with this? And spirit's like, keep going. You're going to get to it. You're going to get to it. And so the bottom of it is just noticing how you, um, you know, who do you love? Love yourself. Love yourself. Love yourself. <laughs> So that was hilarious, I think. But listen, I have to tell you. So anyway, now that I'm realizing boundaries better and my own sense of maintaining my own self-love and confidence in my feelings and trusting myself to know what's right for me, what happens is, is you start to really um, see other people clearer. So not only do you see and hear yourself clearer, you see other people clear. And what I found is that I can see the sufferings in the other people's words or perspectives. I can, I definitely do that Claire Pensee thing where when I hear anymore and I, and people decide to give me their opinion, whether I want it or not, or ask for it or not, I do go psychic on them. And I follow the train of thought to why are they saying it this way? And, um, that has been really, really, really helpful for me. I wonder if it's helpful for you, but I think that it's a, it's a fantastic way to go. Oh, do they have an agenda in what they're saying? Is there a reason for them saying it that way? Or, you know, some people just like to talk and give their opinion. So there's that too. I'm that kind of person. I'm kind of of a hermit. There's a part of me that really likes to hide out for several months at a time. And in my truest desire, I would still be the hermit on the, on the hilltop. I would. I would just definitely be the mystic on the mountain and come down once or twice a year. And that's it. And so what I need for me, and maybe you need for you, is refreshing soul time. And spirit also reminds me this when I'm working on the thymus. With refreshing soul time, it gives you that those moments or those pauses so that you can really feel your feelings. Not only just uh, as a day-to-day -day meditation time to be in touch, because that certainly will help. Remember how I told you Vipassana, if you do it regularly, you can start noticing the subtle sensations that hit your body when you're in conversation or communication or connection with others. And you become very aware really quickly about the energy exchange. That's what I'm talking about now. But it's also the awareness of if you're trying to make this this week, a spiritual practice of feeling your feelings so that you can get a greater sense of self-love so that you can really tap into your soul's purpose or your journey or your happy factor or what is keeping you from being happy. You need to feel your feelings consciously and you need to clarify your feelings, true cause. Like 
you know, if you've got this underlying, sometimes people come to me with an underlying unhappiness, a general malaise across the board. And I have to go in and find the true cause, the original cause. But it could be, I can't, cannot tell you how many times, and it's often housewives, no offense, guys, but sometimes it's men too, where they've just like, they've given themselves completely over to volunteer time or working, working slash motherhood slash wife slash volunteer time. And they are spent, completely spent. No wonder they've lost sense of and track of themselves because they're not feeling their feelings. They're aggravated because they're constantly do, do, doing and not be, be, being. And so spirit reminds me that the nice soul regeneration time is in either a daily practice of meditation, but also moment to moment awareness when something is triggering you to stop and feel your feelings. You know, when you're hitting, ready to hit like that panic button, close your eyes if it's appropriate. Stop, close your eyes, put your hands on your heart and saying, what's coming up for me? And, you know, and, and maybe it's not tied to the past and maybe it is tied to a past pattern maybe it's just tied to something that happened this morning, or maybe it's tied to something that you're going through right now. And the more you do this, like Vipassana, the sooner you'll be able to marry the two together, where you're having a feeling in the moment that the feeling is surfacing. And it's not tied to an early morning experience or earlier life experience, because you've looked at that and you've cleaned that, and you're trying to be moment to moment aware of your feelings. When you feel your feelings and you are honest with yourself and you're honest with it, you have to realize this is the best course of action. Honesty is the best policy because you know that whenever you suppress an impulse, an honest impulse to a feeling that you're having in any given situation, or you ever, or if you ever suppress an unwanted emotion because it's uncomfortable for you. In each of those moments, you lose sight of yourself and you will suffer the consequences. We all need to express ourselves freely to show the world and ourselves who we are by our feelings, our behavior, the work we put out into the planet. Every expression is important for us to kind of validate our experience on the planet. But when we deny those feelings or those impulses or those expressions, then we are hiding and chipping away at our soul self. If you respond with lies and illusions or um, denial and you don't deal with your feelings, you are moving into misunderstanding of yourself. But when you honestly deal with your feelings and you face them, you move to not only understanding yourself, but empowering yourself with self-love. You're moving into confidence with your um, kind of your emotional trajectory or your uh, honoring your feelings, right? <clears throat> but like I said, when you hide from your true feelings, this creates imbalance, not only in your energy field, but it can create tension in your muscles and a whirlwind of mixed emotions in your, um, or mixed emotions or thoughts even. And it's really like anywhere from anger to loss of self-knowing, all of these things, right? But this is like the ultimate self-betrayal. This is what you have to realize. It's the ultimate self-betrayal. And so to free your body, mind, and spirit, you really have to feel your feelings. When people get on my table and they're really exhausted and um, kind of forlorn or sick of life, and and especially when those people come and they're on the cusp of cancer, I'm like, oh, bummer. Um, you know, I really encourage them to look at what they've been denying. I had to do that with myself. And when I went through breast cancer, I was like, oh, shit, what's coming up for me? What's this about? Does it have to do with that? Is there an emotional piece? Is it just, you know, was it just haywire of my immune system because I was dealing with mold, heavy metals, tick-borne illness, and all that? That's what the doctors were feeling. I also had to, you know, just really kind of rejig some personal things, but a lot of it was uh, the chemical or the physiological imbalance of my body trying to you know, I, apparently everybody is exposed to cancer cells or whatever. Just some of them stick. Some, they don't normally. I don't know. I don't understand that. But 
For me, it was because my immune system was so low. <clears throat> and I had to look at all of that. So I digress. So when people come to me and their tank is empty because they're just, they've lost sense of themselves and they've lost track of themselves. It's usually because they're not facing and honest with their feelings. So if I were to give you a goal this week, it's to notice if you have some underlying experience from your childhood or even, I don't know, anywhere in your life that is still holding on tight and has a grip on you and ha has affected your self-love. And the goal is to let that shit go. And But to do that, we often have to look at it and recognize it, honor it, mourn it. What I encourage you to do is to sink in to your true self and see where the tentacles of that experience might have infected your life and how you live your life. So instead that you can reel back, be honest with yourself and find the rhythm of your happiness this week. So all that stuff aside, let's you take your forward future now. Know what brings you joy and what brings you happiness. You could choose this as a spiritual practice this week. Really like paying attention to doing things that make you happy. Like choosing things that bring you joy. F pure and simple. Another thing that you can do, these are all baby steps, right? Like try this this week. Try this the following week. Write these down. See what works for you. Draw a card. Um, you know, you can day by day feel your way along and uh, kind of, I, you know what actually is, is make it a spiritual practice to accept all of you and completely love all of you. Working on self-love, let's say that you accept the greatness that is within you, all the weakness, any weaknesses that are within you, the strong you, the uncertainty in you, the curious you, the adventurous you the fearful you, the person who has problems to deal with, but the person who perseveres and resolves the problems, realize that every life has the ups and downs, right? This is how it is until we get to that mystical bliss state of like all that stuff just falls away because we're hanging in the light of higher conscious living and nothing bothers you. Ah, uh, <laughs> nothing bothers you. Um, but until that point, love yourself every step of the way, the, the good, the bad, the ugly parts of you, embrace them all and accept yourself as you are so that then maybe you can befriend yourself and choose what it is that you want to change or where you want to head and what steps you want to take to head in that direction. Pay attention then to revelatory dreams while you're making this intention. Because when we set the intention, our deeper spirit provides answers and awarenesses and directions. So maybe keep a dream journal as subconscious, as subconscious material is trying to come up and out symbolically as you're trying to unearth some of the pains of your past that you're trying to unravel or the patterns of behavior that you're trying to free yourself from. Yeah. These are just opportunities and options for you to do this week if you want to start putting into practice a greater sense of self-love. I, for one, sometimes I do the witness self. And when I'm checking myself out in a crappy mood and, you know, just like sometimes, you know, when mom's unhappy, the whole house is unhappy, that kind of thing. I've, there's been times in my life where I'm like, no, I'm just going to be mad. I'm going to be doing a little hissy fit and just pout temper tantrum because I don't want to be happy. And I check myself out. I'm like, wow, check you out. What's going on? What's going on? And it's, and, and there's been times when I, God forgive me, where I'm like, good, now everybody else is pissy too. And good, aren't we all pissy? And then I'm sitting there going, why are you even pissy, Con? What was this all about? You know, what is it really about? My biggest thing is I have trouble asking for help. And so, um, 
you know, I think people should just pitch in and help, right? They should just see, just, that's how you do it. You just help. So, um, that's my goal this week for finding my joy and doing things that make me happy. I'm going to use my big girl voice and say, Hey, come help me do this. I don't want to do it alone. I shouldn't have to do it alone or whatever, or actually turn and say, Hey, do you need help with that? Do you need help with that? Um, I think it's my ferocious independence. Anyway, that's my little fault. That's my little fault that then gets me beating myself up um, and affecting self-love. How does that affect my self-love? Because I think I should be able to do it all. And uh, truth is, why should I? Because thinking that only makes me irritable and happy because I don't have all the time to do everything I want. And I have to make concessions and I have to chip away at certain things. So I do need to ask for help. It's a life lesson for me. So what do you suppose your life lesson is? You know, because I think in the long run, I'll feel better about myself because I won't be so pissy. And I'll feel happy because I've gotten the help and I've accomplished whatever goal, whether it's helping with dinner or helping with my social media, you know, any of those kind of things. It's about asking for help. So where could you kind of focus in on in regards to a greater sense of self-love because you're, you have a weakness that you're not willing to look at, you know, it's usually that, I mean, when I put my hands on people's thymus, you know, it's right near the throat chakra, speaking your truth, communication, trust issues. And so it really is linked to your truth and speaking your truth and being honest with yourself and greater comprehension and communication. So just pay attention to that because usually that's where self-love gets all muddled is when there's miscommunication in our lives, whether to our self-talk to ourself or when others have had moments of miscommunication with us and we've taken the ball and run and we don't even understand the full meaning and content. Dot, period, dot, dot, dot. Listen, I think that this is a good place to end. Oh my gosh, that's not the end. I, I just have to make uh, this other point. I think also if you were to trace or if I were to trace my inability to ask for help back to my childhood, it would be go to the moments that I was uh, molested and I didn't have the ability to ask for help or scream for help when I was overwhelmed and things were beyond my control or beyond my comprehension. And so that is tied to an experience there that, you know, affected my sense of uh, self-love, self-respect, self-esteem, all of that. And um, I definitely, you know, see the ripples of that. And so this episode has been about trying to help you understand, do you have these moments in time that were so traumatic or so pivotal that it really, um, discombobulated your sense of self-love? And if so, what are the ripple effects and what can you do now to go about, um, you can't change the past, right? So, but what can you do to kind of uncover it, resolve it as best you can, grieve it, whatever, and learn differently going forward or change the way you function going forward so that it's more productive and helpful? And for me, part of that is uh, asking for help. And it's also recognizing that I don't have to do everything on my own. I don't have to. And so what that then does is foster this sense of the right independence because I get to choose what I am really good at doing and stay focused on that, but maybe partition out the bits that I want to get assistance on. And so then I don't beat myself up for not being able to do it all myself because there were times in my life when I blame myself for that interaction of my childhood. And I blame myself for not being able to fight back or speak out or tell, you know, all of those things. And so that has done enough in my, um, with the tentacles throughout my life to impair my sense of self-love. But once I really unearthed it and got to the bottom of it, especially through my poetry, it allowed me to see where in my life do I, um, put up and shut up still? And where do I not still reach out for help? So you see how intricate all of this is. This is just, again, another example of, um, 
what you might look at when you're trying to unearth where some things that are kind of holding you back or preventing you from a greater sense of self-love. Because in that, that's what's keeping you from your happiness, really. That's what's keeping you from your true self. That's what's keeping you from knowing yourself, accepting yourself, loving yourself, feeling content, feeling understood, um, feeling like self-respect as you have exchanges in your world and you bring yourself forward and you allow yourself to feel your feelings and respond accordingly to those feelings. It's fabulous, really, when you start doing that. I'm still a work in progress, but, you know, aren't we all? I do hope that you found this episode helpful. If you are struggling with a sense of self-love or want to improve on your sense of self-love, or if you're just finding that things in your life aren't exactly as um, you desire and your happy factor is not really measuring up to what you know it could be. I hope that maybe looking deeper at some pivotal moments in your life that may have gotten kind of stuck in your psyche or your energy field or your Um, you know, kind of got you stuck in a loop of patterns that have been unproductive. Uh, Perhaps now you can see through those and start to honor yourself so that you might discover your trajectory of happiness and um, soul satisfaction and really honoring your feelings and having a sense, a greater sense of self-respect in doing so and a greater sense of self-love. You've been listening to Soul Awareness with Constance Mesmer. Thank you so much for tuning in. Legally speaking, this podcast is presented solely for educational and entertainment purposes. It is not intended as a substitute for medical diagnosis, treatment, or the advice of a physician psychotherapist, or other qualified professional. You should not use this information to diagnose or treat a health problem or condition. Always check with your doctor. Thank you.